0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ninety-seven-one FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Annie Fry Show is brought to you by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods.
1: Exactly what I needed to hear. Thank
0: God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's
1: us. That's right. Gotta love this American ride Alright, you need to take the time and get the full picture.
2: Come on, come
3: on. the radio on. Saturday, and won't Don't get me wrong. I love the ladies. I mean, they read my engine, but they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady.
2: Sake kid. keep your voice down. Your father's listening to the radio. I'm not married
0: This is the Annie Fry Show.
2: Happy Monday. Welcome to the Annie Fry Show. Happy to be with you today. Had a great weekend, an absolutely wonderful weekend. Visiting with you, many of you, 350 of a sold-out crowd of you at Brookdale Farms while Brian Kilmead was in town. So if you were there. It was such an honor to meet so many of you. And I know you guys had a wonderful time with Brian Kilmead and and being able to meet with him, visit with him, get his book signed by him. Thank you all for who all everybody who showed up. And if you wanted to go, but you were a little reserved, next time we have one of these events, just jump on it. Commit. Come. I get it. It's easier to stay home and do nothing. But in this instance, you're going to wish you were there. And so many of y'all who I got to meet last night or last weekend. I was struck by, I think I probably had at least four people tell me, I've never done anything like this before. And we're just talking about going out to an event and, and hanging out with people who might be like-minded and listening to uh, somebody like Brian Kilmeade speak. And of course, Mark Cox and Mark Ridden were there along with myself. And yeah, you went out of your comfort zone and everybody, four out of four um, introverts recommend coming to the next 97.1 event. So please make sure that you... You come and because we want to see you, and we want to keep making these bigger and better. And we packed that room. Brookdale Farms is beautiful. I'm going back with my kids, and I hear they're goats, and we are going to pet them. So uh, just wanted to give you guys a thank you right off the bat for that. Um, I, I've i been thinking this weekend a lot about how every day that I come onto the show, and every day that I have to kind of pick what I want to highlight, what I want to make the key Element of at least how we kick off the show. We've got guests on. Steve Moore is going to be with us at 105, we hope. And uh, Stuart Rosenblum is going to be in studio at 125. Some good news in the mortgage rate uh, industry, but what does it always mean for the economy? That's why we bring Stewie in, who is a great sponsor of the show, to talk about what's actually going on in the economy. Yes, you can get the best deal on your mortgage with Stewie, but it's much more than that. And he is my literal resource Uh, Anytime there's big economic news or whatever coming out, I talk to Stewie about it, and it it occurs to me that the easy way—I don't know if it's easy, but unfortunate for sure—way that the 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 prevailing element of what we can talk about on the show every day, it always comes down to the 2024 election. Every time it comes down to the 2024 election, and it really struck me struck me this weekend. Because when I'm trying to when I'm trying to take the conversation outside of this very honestly narrow minded way of looking at our future, we're talking about the future of what? Is it the future of the country? Is it the future of democracy? Depends on who you ask. Is it the future of freedom, of liberty, of safety, of security? is it really up to the 2024 election to establish that there is a 2025 and a 2026 and a 2027 and yeah a 2028 which will be the most consequential election in our nation's history because that's the way these things go it gets me thinking a lot about something that i do i do dip into and i, I probably if you mapped this on a timeline the 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 more fevered pitch that the election conversation starts to to be the more likely I am to try to kind of put my hand up to it and turn my face away and come back to this very point if everything rests on the 2024 election and we lose and by we you're listening to the Annie Fry Show on 97.1. I think you probably understand that I'm a conservative. I am, if you haven't listened a lot, briefly I'll explain to you, I'm for the Republican nominee, whomever that might be. I'm a Ron DeSantis fan. I don't see him winning, uh, winning the nomination, but at this point in time, I will vote for him. Uh, I have no problems voting for Donald Trump. My biggest concern with Donald Trump is that he can't win. Uh, I've, I've heard people say right now that the, the tides are turning ever more so in the favor of Donald Trump. That he can't be stopped. Let alone, can he win? He can't be stopped. And you're seeing more liberal-minded publications talking about the Biden problem, and the the very dedicated consistency of the people in in the brass in the Democrat Party saying Joe Biden is our guy. I want you to imagine. The moment that for whatever reason, and I'm telling you right now, the reason isn't going to be some sort of very dramatic legal entanglement that Joe Biden finds himself in that's going to pull him out of the election. If if that were the case, they'd try to push him over the finish line and then handle the situation after he would, in their minds, hopefully win. If a scenario arises where Joe Biden says he just does not believe he's mentally fit or physically fit or he just believes that under the circumstances that he may not go into that he is the right guy for the job and his patriotic duty to step down, everybody, everybody will drop their jaw and they'll gasp and they'll say, <gasps> I can't believe he's doing this. And how strong of a man is he to know that this is the time he needs to step down? How He must love his country as much as he loves his son. And all the people on the left who are all part of the party will be like, oh, my gosh, Joe Biden was our guy. And we'll go, oh, yeah, what are you going to do now? Quickly go to plan B, who kind of screwed himself in a debate last week with uh, Ron DeSantis. They're making plans. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Joe Biden isn't playing ball the way they want to. Maybe they think that they can get Joe Biden across the finish line in 2024. And that is literally the only thing that matters. And you know what? Maybe they can get Joe Biden across the finish line in 2024. That is an absolute possibility. I have no idea how he won in 2020. I know many of you have some ideas and thoughts. But you do have to ask yourself. The question that I'm asking myself regularly right now, which is, but what about after 2024 what comes then what what happens if you win what happens if you lose if you win in November of 2024 is everything fixed absolutely not in fact the battlefield probably becomes even more aggressive and what happens if you lose do we just quit do we give up was that it the reason why I ask you that question is because the battlefield that is that, that tension that you feel inside your heart and your soul right now and your mind is not a political battlefield. It just isn't. That might be where the score is tallied, but that's not where the plan is forged. And and that is a huge, huge element of The political battle that we're facing every day that really, when you boil it down, you have a conversation with somebody on the other side of the issue with you. Couldn't you have that conversation out loud to yourself and pretty much know how it's going to go most times? Is there ever a new wrinkle in that conversation? Do you ever have a conversation with somebody who just absolutely detests Donald Trump? And you love Donald Trump and you know that Donald Trump was amazingly the right man at the right time for this country and saved us from going the way of the full fundamental transformation that was promised to us in 2008. The idea of freedom and liberty existing at the risk of failure is an important tenet of the United States of America and where we come from. Because that means that if we're not guaranteed some sort of provision in our life, some sort of, of securities, and I'm not talking on, you know, like the border kind of securities. I'm talking about funding for the uh two and a half children family that you are going to have and the 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 three bed two bath home that you will be provided and the income that will be automatically deposited into your bank account i'm not i'm talking about that kind of securities people who promise you those things a can't deliver them and keep society free where you as an american can say gosh this three-bed, two-bathroom house is wonderful, but I'd really like some more space. And I have hobbies, and I'd like to have a full-size uh, finished basement where I could have my my friends over, and we could uh, fill the room full of nice things that we earn from being wildly successful at our job. I'd like to dream about that. And if I ever achieve that, I'd like to get that and enjoy it. Or I'd like to travel. I'd like to go places. I'd like to do things... And yes, I need the, the resources to afford it. And I don't have them right now, but I would like to work hard. I would like to maybe work a second job. I would like to maybe go out and invest my time and energy into getting something back that I can use for my own betterment, that I can use for my own enjoyment. And it really doesn't matter if my neighbor likes it or not, because I earned it. And it is mine. And I will leave it. And, and include the people in my family. I will leave it to the people in my family if I'm, I'm to be successful enough to leave something behind so that my children can also enjoy the fruits of my labor. And I will teach them to understand that the fruits of their labor will benefit themselves and the generations to come. There is, a, there is a promise that exists that is oppositional to freedom. And the promise that is is delivered, that is put in front of Americans to choose from, the promise is comfort. You are made to believe that at the very, very low cost of your vote, which maybe you've never exercised before even, but that doesn't matter right now. At the very, very low cost of your vote, I will make you comfortable And the most important thing you need to understand is that you are uncomfortable because of a class of people. And we have a name for them and we call them the Republicans or maybe it's the Democrats. But in this instance, I absolutely believe that the Republicans are made to be an enemy of comfort in the minds of people who might be looking up for the first time. Do we put all of our eggs in the 2024 basket? I think that's too risky. And I don't even think it's enough risk in and of itself at the same time. Because if you win in 2024, what do you do next? What's the plan? How do you make it better for people in in a way that they will understand why it's better? Because the idea of, of... the supreme entity of the government is still resting in the American people's hands and not in some sort of sacrificed trust in a government authority to provide for you the comforts that they said that they would. I'm sitting in the city of St. Louis right now. Democrats make the same promise every single election. And they tell you who the bad guys are. And Democrats continue to get elected here. And the problems get worse. It is not safe to come to the city of St. Louis. You have to understand where to go, where not to go, how to be, how not to be. These are things that you have to take upon yourself. And, you know, if it's one thing to have an unsafe situation that people acknowledge this is not this is not the safest place to be. But know that the people who are charged with cleaning it up and making it safer, that they're actually effectively working on it. We don't have those promises here. And on a national scale, the only promise that we continue to hear is that if you look to 2024. You have to vote for Democrats or democracy will end. In what world exists where the only way to perpetuate democracy is to vote for one party? Where the people who are telling you that belong to that party? Wouldn't democracy exist where people are able to assess the situations in their lives, the circumstances that they live in? The responsibilities that the current leaders take in order to affect better change for those situations. Doesn't democracy exist when those people cast their vote based on their own lived experience without having threats from people who are in power already saying this is the only way that you can vote for democracy to continue? And for Republicans who are constantly talking about that same, that same sort of mentality about our country will cease to exist if a Democrat gets reelected in 2024, what happens if the Republicans lose? And it's possible that they do. This is my point. And I'm going to elaborate on where you come in when we return. My point is that the political battlefield is the scoreboard. But it's not the practice field. It's not the place where we put in the hard work, where we train, where we are effective in the ways that we can persuade people not to just blindly say, goodness gracious, you're right. I was wrong. I'm coming over to your side to see people where they are, to talk to people where they are, to meet people where they are and listen to them so that they can maybe for the first time open their minds up to listen to you. Let's talk about it when we come back. The YouTube live chat poll for today is how do most people feel about the political opposition? So maybe if you're like me and you consider yourself to be a conservative Republican, how do you feel about the Democratic left? Or if you're like me, how do you think the Democratic left feels about you? It's pretty open, and we need your comments and your thoughts so that we can understand your vote. How do most people feel about the political opposition? Do they feel that they're wrong, that they're evil, that they're persuadable, or they're just indifferent? Let us know what you think at the Annie Fry YouTube channel in the live chat poll, and uh, we'll get those results at the end of the show. Let's talk about some solutions when we come back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees, 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. First of all,
1: I don't think he can hold this party together. Second of all, you're exactly right. Mike Johnson and what he believes is one of the greatest threats we have today to the United States. When, I, when I'm going to you.
0: I know these people. Well, you're talking I, about Christian nationalism.
1: absolutely. I absolute. was talking about this at is, the end this, of, is a, right. this is a, a bigger threat than Al-Qaeda to this country. They, and let me tell you something. They have Speaker of the House. They got probably at least two Supreme Court justices, maybe more. Right? Don't kid yourself. in people in the press have no idea who this guy is, how he was formed, what the threat is. And this is a fundamental threat to the United States. It is a fundamental. They don't believe in the Constitution.
2: They don't believe in the Constitution. That's the number one thing uh, that James Carville has to say about Mike Johnson: is that Mike Johnson and other Christian nationalists are a bigger threat to the country than Al Qaeda. Wow. I mean, you got it. That's got to. That's got to draw you back a little bit, doesn't it? To hear something like that because you know it's absurd. You know that the the idea that somehow or another a Democratic strategist with such long resume history in American politics will look at someone like Mike Johnson and say. He's a bigger threat to the United States than a terrorist organization. It is patently absurd. It's also really offensive because Bill Maher, this is in a a panel with Bill Maher on Bill Maher show. He steps in. He's like, you're talking about Christian, Christian nationalism, which if, if that if earlier in that conversation, earlier than the clip that I saw, Christian nationalism was mentioned and Bill Maher is kind of calling back to that, then maybe there's a different scenario there. But not I mean, it doesn't really change the point of the conversation that somebody like James Carville. At the comfort of Bill Maher sitting there uh, at the same table, because he does because Bill Maher pushes back on people if he disagrees with them the idea that he is somehow or another saying that Christian nationalism is a bigger threat to the United States of America. And the people in this panel are sitting there and going, Oh, okay. All right. The the crowd initially says reacts wildly when Mike Johnson is named as a huge threat to And then there, and then when, when Carville says something to the effect of being worse than Al Qaeda, there's this one person in the audience who's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just quiet down. Like, I can just feel everybody kind of looking like, who are you? I'm not going to go. I'm not going to follow you out of this building afterwards. So this is the, this is the kind of the, the crux of the question for today on our YouTube page. If you go to the Annie Fry YouTube live broadcast right now, you can vote in the live chat poll. How do most people feel about the political opposition? That they're wrong, that they're evil, that they're persuadable, that they're indifferent. Now, I I don't know how many of you all are just going to go right to the fact that they're evil, but I'm looking right now. I'm not going to scoop the results because I usually wait till about 245, 250 to get into the results of today's poll. But they're wrong and they're evil are pretty much neck and neck right now in this poll. How do we make a change moving into 2024? How do you do something Right now or in the coming weeks and months before the election happens to positively affect ultimately the country, but yes, momentarily a very consequential election. I think the most important way to solve a problem is to get incredibly specific as to what the problem actually is. And that becomes very uncomfortable from time to time, because if you're not willing to hone in and get very specific as to what the problem is, if the more broadly you can brush over what the what what is plaguing our country, what is causing us so much consternation, division, anger, uh, despair in so many different places. It's very easy to instead of trying to solve the actual problem, and this is a message for every single person who's in politics today. This is not a message for the Democrats. So if you're somebody who's listening and you're moderate, if you're maybe a little bit to the left, don't hear don't hear this like I'm talking to just the Democrats. Like, this is what you need to do to snap to. If anything, I'm probably leaning a little bit more into my own political side of the aisle. How do most people feel about the political opposition? I think I'm prepared to be incredibly saddened by how many people vote in today's poll that they're evil. Because there are there's an industry that exists around the idea that political power is the be all end all power. And then that industry is about making money. So you have power and you have money. You have money and power. One always gives you the other. When we look at how the people on the other side of that equation feel about us, it's somewhat hurtful to know that there are people in your own family, there are lifelong friends and acquaintances and relationships that you've had who know that you voted a certain way, who know that you won't vote a certain way, and they've cut you out. They've, they've they've decided that you as a human being are no longer worthy to associate with because they do think you're evil I think that there are in the same vein the other way it goes the other way if you're somebody who you know supported Donald Trump's the easiest example that every single person on the planet seems to have an opinion on as soon as as soon as people aren't willing to listen to you, and and understand why you do support Donald Trump, and they're very dismissive of you, you you start to look at the overarching values of the progressive industry, and you start applying them to the people in your life. I think there is a conservative right-wing industry that tries to set a tone and an attitude, and these industries that are out there profiting on clicks, on views, on attention, It gets applied to everyday people and we no longer talk to each other. And that's when both of those sides wins. The industry wins. Here's who's in it. Who's under attack right now in our culture. The way that we live right now. Families are under attack. The idea of a family unit. You're not supposed to say that a a two-parent household is better than a one parent household. Although the people who love science and metrics and numbers, I could talk to on blue in the face about how much better a child has it when they have a two-parent home. That's just true. That doesn't mean that you can mandate a two-parent home and have it be effective and successful. That doesn't mean that every two-parent relationship is the best situation for a kid because the relationship is broken or abusive. That doesn't mean any of that. But when we say that the two-parent household is what's best to raise children in a stable, a, a stable environment where they can grow and thrive the best, that is a statistical fact. The question happens when the two-parent household isn't feasible anymore. If that relationship becomes broken, if if one of the people in that relationship needs to exit that relationship because it is abusive and it isn't a safe environment for the children to be raised. Then what happens next? We see it. We see a culture right now where the government works incredibly hard to wedge itself into that situation and take over the responsibility that used to exist there. They do it by demeaning fatherhood. They demean fatherhood because they demean manhood. The idea that you can grow up in, you know, what's the phrase? Be a man. That's an offensive sentence for people. We live in a world where when Kobe Bryant talked about being a girl dad, Kobe Bryant was championed for talking about being a girl dad. But what is a girl and what is a dad? We can't live rationally in a society Where the idea that, you know what, for men, especially men, who have achieved the highest of heights, except for maybe right below Michael Jordan, just have to say that right there. Right, as far as you could possibly achieve, Kobe Bryant is, I mean, Kobe is a one-name person. You say Kobe, everybody knows who you're talking about. Wildly successful. Wonderful mentality when it comes to working towards success. Kobe Bryant wasn't waiting for anybody to give him anything. He worked and he worked and he worked and he worked. And then he had two daughters. And and for some reason, society looks at that like, well, that's a shame Kobe didn't have a son because people want to see the next Kobe. And for some reason, when we have... Kobe Bryant, who has two daughters, there is some sort of disconnect there. I don't know why that is, because from what I understand, girls are as good at basketball as boys are, and they can play interchangeably. The idea of saying Kobe Bryant is a proud girl dad is to say that girls can do things, too. Girls can be successful, too, and that there's no shame. And Kobe Bryant's not looking at his daughters going, gosh, I wish one of you were a boy. We can know all of these things to be true, and yet we retract in our society to not wanting to just say simple things that are true because we're worried about offending such a small minority of people. Because so many of us are going, well, we know what's real here. We know, but I'm not gonna. I don't want to be. I don't want to be the one who. I don't want to cause people to be upset. I don't want to. If the only thing we're worried about is ever is hurting people's feelings, at the end, everyone's feelings will be hurt because nobody will understand what the truth is because nobody is willing to speak it. Fatherhood is under assault. The idea that fatherhood isn't even necessary is kind of an age, an aged wine in the progressive movement that, that women can be so empowered that they can choose to raise a child by themselves or they can just choose not to raise a child. Go look at Dave Chappelle's a couple of his stand-ups ago. He was talking about, and this is one of the smartest things that I've ever heard, and I love stand-up comedy for this reason, and I'm not 100% sure where Dave Chappelle is on abortion, but... In his Dave Chappelle way, he was like, let's talk about abortion. And everyone's like, I got to hear what Dave Chappelle says about this. And he was talking about how important it is for a woman to have the right to choose. That a woman should be able to choose when she is going to engage in that very, very taxing responsibility of bearing a child and being a mother. That no man should ever be able to come into that woman's life and say, you have to do this right now. You must do this. Nobody should be able to tell that woman when it's right for her to be a mother. Dave Chappelle's point, why don't men have that same responsibility? Why don't men get to choose when to be a father? Because if the woman chooses to have that child, the father's going to be on the hook for financial support. He can't say, well, the right choice for me right now is to focus on my career. There is an absurd hypocrisy in that conversation, in that situation, that demeans the responsibility of motherhood honestly ultimately on behalf of men we know we know what is true we know what is real and we've been very quiet about it and the opposite of being quiet isn't being loud it is being present it is participating in the conversation it is listening to people who don't see things the way you do. And honestly, if you sit down and you say you're willing to listen without having to counterpoint everything they do, the first influence that you will provide upon that person is that you sat and listened. You can't speak back to somebody who sees things so dramatically different than you do if they're not willing to listen to what you say. If they're not willing to hear you, then nothing that you say matters, as true and right as it might be. Square one is the family. It is our children. It is the understanding that we have actions in our lives that produce families and that there is a way to do it best. There is a way to create a family environment that is best and that is and that is ideal. And then also talking to the people on the right side of the aisle right now, because sometimes this gets left on the drawing room floor that People who don't exist in those ideal best circumstances still deserve our love and support and our ear to listen to them, to know what their struggles are, to understand how we can lean in so that we can help these kids grow in a family environment that will help them be successful. Abortion does not exist without the initial feminist movement to try to equalize sexual freedom for women. The way men have enjoyed sexual freedom forever. And that equalization of sexual freedom for women is supposed to just leave women as consequence free as men have been before in having sexual freedom. But the truth is you cannot take away the scientific fact that the consequence exists for women in a way that it doesn't exist for men. It is not the same. That doesn't mean it's unequal, but it is not the same. We have to speak to these things. And it doesn't have anything to do with whether abortion is illegal or not. If a president gets elected in 2024, like Ron DeSantis, who signed a six week ban in Florida, he's never, ever, ever, ever going to be able to put that into play in Washington, D.C. as a president of the United States. And anybody who wants to bring that to the surface as as question number one for Ron DeSantis understands that he will never have to face that as a realistic scenario in his presidency. They're just trying to pin him on something because they want the other guy to win. The way we save those babies is to go listen to these women, is to show up for these women, is to be present for these women who have the right, the legal right to choose an abortion. We have to give them the support system outside of some sort of government structure to say you can choose life, we'll help you. And it's not from a government program. It's not something you feel real good about when you look at your W-2 and you see all of those taxes you paid and you're like, wow, look what I did to help people. Nobody thinks that. There's a, an article that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show when we get uh, Ryan in here and Brad and I will talk about it. But the headline is Millennials Feel Abandoned by Parents Not Available to Help Raise Grandkids. You have to invest in the village in order to benefit from the village. And we have not done that. We've invested everything in votes and elections. And this is where we are right now. A lot of despair. But we can fix it. And that's that's the takeaway. You have to understand that we can be participants in making this better for ourselves. And the government will follow suit eventually. Let's take a quick break. Ryan Wiggins is going to come in studio. We're going to do Wiggins America. He's got the Monday roundup. Some interesting stories. We've got somebody who has dropped out of the presidential race. Big news in the Republican uh, campaign for the nomination. Big news. We'll find out who it is among the other stories. That as Ryan Wiggins says. If he doesn't report on it, it didn't happen. We'll be right back. Don't go away. <laughs>
1: Wiggins! Yeah. Oh! Monday round, This here's
3: the wildest
1: ride in the
3: wilderness! All right, everybody, brace for this political earthquake. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum has suspended his Republican presidential campaign.
2: I wouldn't have been able to tell you what state he was governor of. I would have referred to it as up there.
3: <laughs> From the North <laughs> North of us. Burgum from the north
2: (laughs) is out.
0: (laughs) We know no candidate but the candidate in the north.
3: (laughs) Uh, No, we don't. Uh, To correct all of you, he is out. He is no longer running for president. Uh, I mean, he was a dark horse bit. And so kudos I to him say that
2: in 2023 it's very offensive
3: well that's what the fox news says
2: well there you go <laughs> case in point
3: uh he is out so uh all the texts that i've been getting for some reason from the Bergham campaign please stop
2: you've gotten texts from them what did you do <laughs> how'd that happen i kid you
3: not he is the only politician in America who is sending me fundraiser texts. I, I had to
2: check my spam. I'm folder. not on
3: any other lists. <laughs> I've somehow avoided everybody but Doug Burgum. Maybe that's why I haven't seen an ad. They're just counting on you to fund their campaign. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. He had to drop out because I was not very generous with the Burgum campaign. So there you go. Uh, he-
2: is texting the worst thing that's happened to politics? Yeah. It's an exaggeration, I mean, but it's how I feel right now. I think
3: at this moment in time, I'm going to say yes. It's the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of United States
2: politics. Here's Texting. a text I got from one. Do you support competency te- tests for federal politicians over the age of 75? I think I'm getting a lot of Nikki Haley stuff. Oh, interesting. It's because I'm a chick.
3: Yeah, they're targeting you. Mm-hmm. And I am. I don't know what I am that they go, that guy's got to love Doug Burns.
2: <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Tom here with... North Dakota's Governor Doug Burgum for president. Oh, nice. October, though. They've been quitting for a while.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think I just got one a couple weeks ago. Uh, (laughs) I just got a text just now. Let's see who it is. Nope. It's
2: actually Doug Burgum. (laughs) (laughs) He's got some time. He's like,
3: you know what? Just go easy on me, please, Ryan. They're
2: making me send my text actually from myself now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's from an unknown number that's actually Doug Burgum's cell. (laughs) All right. Well, just so you know. Can't vote for him. And you, you know what? You still can. He's just not really running. Anymore.
2: The only thing that I'm interested about is if he like chooses.
3: Sorry, it was delayed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Endorse somebody. Go on.
3: There we go. All right. Next one. Seventy-year-old woman gives birth to twins.
2: That sounds terrible.
3: A woman in Uganda became like one of worst
2: th- nightmare. Isn't it amazing? Seventy, I get pregnant with twins.
3: Seventy years old, she became the world's oldest new mother this week after she gave birth to twins at 70 years old. You'd think, well, I'm gonna be 70, I'm gonna set a world record, no, I'm gonna do at it, high it twice.
2: Graduation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um she have, is she married?
3: Um, it does not say.
2: This goes to my conversation in the earlier segment about just completely crapping on fatherhood. Yeah, it she didn't doesn't get pregnant say. by herself, I don't think.
3: It says that it was in vitro fertilization. She got
2: pregnant by herself.
3: (laughs) But I don't know if she's married. Uh, It does say that it was a boy and a girl.
2: Imagine bringing, and we don't know this to be, the the, who reported on this?
3: This is coming from Odyssey, which is probably sourced from somebody else. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh...
3: (laughs) But that's an Odyssey report. Let me
2: rephrase. Um, Imagine bringing twins into the world at 70 years old without somebody to help you. Man. No. But maybe that's not the case here.
3: No, no, she, the report she was doesn't C-section. Exist. She was C-section. What? Is that what you're saying? No. Without somebody to help you raise them. You're not talking about the actual them. birth. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see where you're headed she's, now.
0: Stay over there, doctors.
3: I got this. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> like, really? No, she's going to have some help from the doctor. <laughs> just, just to calm your fears there, Annie. I do
2: not know what's happening. Play that whip sound right now in the middle of (laughs) me talking.
3: There you go. All right. uh, Before we. (laughs)
2: I'm like.
3: Uh, I don't know how this broke out into big news, but apparently it was big enough that Newsweek was willing to report that Trump's top rumored pick for vice president is none other than Dr. Ben Carson. It's all sourced from this Coolidge project tweet, though. So I, I don't know how much you want to put behind that, but with the fact that major major institutions were willing to report on it
2: Newsweek? suggests
3: there's something to it. Yeah. Mm. Newsweek. What I, do you think?
2: I think that Newsweek wants Ben Carson to be the vice president, <laughs> yeah. is what I
3: think. <laughs> I think Newsweek wants some clicks, because... Who's I,
2: the worst person that Trump could pick?
3: It's not him. I like him.
2: Who's the worst person Trump could Ooh. pick? This is an easy question.
3: Joe Manchin. No. Carrie Lake. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay. (laughs)
2: C-section. Donald Trump performed a C-section on himself and had twins at 77?
3: He's trying to show inclusivity.
2: Man, he is. And he identifies as a woman now. For now. My goodness. I don't really know where to go from that. How about about Steve Moore next, naturally?
0: Get more at 971talk.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,